All right, so uh, go ahead, if you have your Bibles, turn to 1 John. 1 John chapter 1, that's where we'll be here in just a minute. But just as a quick review as you're turning there, uh, last week we introduced this study. We t- did like a character study on the Apostle John, who is the, <clears throat> excuse me, the author of this book. And uh, we talked about the reasons why he wrote this letter. And the first reason that he wrote it was to explain the importance of fellowship with God, with Christ, and with one another. And we saw that it is this fellowship that results in joy in the believer. So the result of this fellowship when we are doing this, um, of course, when we have fellowship with God, this is where it starts, fellowship with God and with Christ. It's going to bleed over into each other and it brings with each other and it brings joy um, into, the belief, or into the life of the believer. <clears throat> Second thing was he talked about was to refute the destructive false teachings of the Gnostics. We're not going to go into that again tonight, but we kind of dealt in depth with that last week, what that was, but this false teaching that had crept in the church, and so we have to be discerning, and so these, these false teachers would come, they'd creep in the church, they begin to teach heresy, and they were, hopefully they were, well, their hope was to lead people astray, and so we saw last week that we have to have discernment, and John was dealing with this as well, and then finally we saw that for believers to have assurance of their salvation. And 1 John 5.13 says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And so John didn't want us just to hope that we're saved, or in the end, maybe hopefully I'll end up there, maybe this wishful thinking. He says, I want you to, I write these things that you may know that you have eternal life. And so to summarize this book into a phrase, the book this first book of First John is about fellowship with God, and so that's what we're going to be talking about uh, for the remainder um, of this, the weeks that we have ahead. This fellowship is made possible only through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And so without, without him, without him coming and, and sacrificing his life and shedding his blood, we could not have this fellowship. We could not enjoy this fellowship that we have. It's only made possible through that. So... It's only possible through the shed blood of Christ. So how do we have this fellowship with God? That's where, we're going to be start, that's where we'll start at tonight. And first, we must understand that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. God is holy, and man, of course, is unholy. Uh, God is he, is, he is untouched by any evil uh, or sin, and we are extremely evil by nature, and so we see that we are complete opposite of God. And so God is holy. He is, he is holy. He's other. He's different. He's not like us. And so we serve a holy God who is untouched by any evil. And because God is light, those who desire to be in fellowship with him must also be pure. So that's what we'll be looking at is we as unholy people wanting to be in fellowship with a holy God uh, is not possible, of course, like I said a second ago, without the shed blood of Christ. But this desire is, the problem is that we are not pure. But if we desire to have fellowship with God, it's going to require something of us. It doesn't just happen. And so we can't just say, I'm going to have fellowship with God. It's going to require life change. It's going to require something of us. Ultimately, we can't clean ourselves up and fix ourselves up. We have to be changed by God. We have to have our heart renewed, our heart changed. We have to be saved in order to be able to have this fellowship that we, that we seek, but it's going to require something of us. And tonight we will move on and look at the four conditions of fellowship, four things that it requires of, 
requires if we want to have fellowship with God. And so if you're in 1 John chapter 1, 1 John chapter 1, we're going to start in verse 5, and we're going to read all the way through chapter 2, verse 14. 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves that the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I write these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. With the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, not only ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I'm writing to you no new command, a commandment, but an old commandment that you had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in light and hates his brother is still in darkness, Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And so this is where we'll be studying these verses tonight. And the first condition that we said, there's four conditions. The first one is that if we want to have fellowship with God, we must walk in the light. Go back to chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. We have to walk in the light. It says, this is, a, this is the message which we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. So God is, he is light, and in him there is no darkness. And so where there is light, there cannot be darkness. And so what we see is that wherever Jesus, that Jesus is light, and wherever he is, God is light, is that darkness is dispelled. And so there can be no darkness in him. So he is, God is light, and in him there is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus his son cleanses us from all sin. So here John described God as light, indicating that he is infinitely, and infinitely holy, utterly righteous, and morally pure. In the Gospel of John, chapter 1, uh, verses 4 and 5, uh, John calls Jesus the light of the world. And then Jesus says, I am the light of the world, in John, chapter 8, verse 12. So Jesus says this himself, this is all recorded in the Gospel of John. And so if if God is light, in him there is no darkness, what does it mean to walk in the light? Well, first we need to understand what walk is talking about. 
is that we talk about the Christian walk all the time. Well, what it is is our lifestyle. It's the way that we live our life. So life, every day that we get up, every day that we're alive, that God gives us, uh, we wake up every day, that God gives us, how are you living your life? This is your walk. This is your lifestyle is what he's talking about here. To walk in the light means that our lifestyle is based in the word of God. So if you walk in the light, it means you know God, you know the truth, you've been saved, uh, uh, and you are following the word of God in your lifestyle. Now, again, are we perfect? No. Do we sin? Yes. And so what we're talking about, when we're talking about some of these things tonight, recognize that we're talking about a pattern. We're talking about a pattern of your lifestyle. Because we do sin, but uh, we, but we, um, is the pattern of your life, if you were to examine it, would it say it's based on the word of God? That's what we're talking about when we're talking about our lifestyle. It's a pattern of life, not I slipped up and got, yeah, screamed at the guy who cut me off in traffic or whatever. But um, so it's, it, we're, not, we're, not, we're talking about a, a pattern here. And so to walk in light means our lifestyle is based on the word of God. To walk in darkness means to live contrary to the moral character of God. So, of course, it's the exact opposite. We have light. We have darkness. And so to walk in darkness is living completely contrary to the moral character of God. It is to live a sinful lifestyle. Hold your place at 1 John and go to the Gospel of John, chapter 3. Gospel of John, chapter 3, and go to verse 16. You're probably, you'll be familiar with this, but we're going to go a little bit past that. But John three sixteen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world through him might be saved. Uh, whoever believes in, his, in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is, this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light because, they're, uh, because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked, wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light." So we, it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. And so what we see here <clears throat> is ultimately the, the thought is that those who uh, live in darkness, are they trying to get out of the darkness? No, it says they love darkness. So that, that's why they will not come to Christ. It says that they love darkness. And this is just, the light is coming to the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light. And so when you look around the world... You're like, why is the world crazy? Why is that guy so bad? Why is that these are these bad things happening? Why is there so much evil? Why is there so much you fill in the blank? It's because they don't know God. It's because they're living in darkness. That's to be expected. And so a lot of times we have these as Christians, sometimes we have expectations of unbelievers. Well, they're just living like unbelievers because they're unbelievers. And so we need to remember that, is that an unbeliever is in darkness. And what the scripture says here, what John says, is that the people love darkness rather than light. 
And so you would love darkness rather than light unless God called you out of it. And so if you know Christ, you were called out of darkness and drawn into the light. And so sinners in our natural state love darkness. And so John indicates here that natural man loves the darkness. And that unless Jesus called you, unless God called you, the Spirit drew you to himself and revealing your need of a Savior, unless that did happen, you would still be in darkness and you would love the darkness as well. And so remember that when you look at people you work with, uh, people, that, uh, people in your family, and you're like, why are they acting this way? They're not saved. That's why. They're acting like unsaved people. So why? That's their nature. And so we need to recognize that and remember that. And uh, we need to be a good example before them and share the gospel with them. So hopefully they will be drawn out of the darkness. And so we see that John indicates the natural man loves darkness. So back in 1 John chapter 1, verse 6. <clears throat> Verse 6 says, if we, have, if we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So are there a lot of people that this would apply to? If you ask your average person here today in Midland, are you a Christian, what's 80% of them going to say? Maybe, maybe more, 80%. They say, yeah, I'm a Christian. I believe some of that stuff. I go to church every now and then. I yeah, whatever. Yeah, I'm, I'm a Christian. So they may say, they would claim that they have fellowship with God. Yeah, I'm okay with God. But their life says otherwise. So if we say we have fellowship with him while walk in, we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. And the truth is light. The truth is light. And so John is saying that he's, he's speaking, he's contrasting here, walking in light versus walking in the darkness. So what does this look like in practice? A lot of times it's, okay, walk in the light. Well, what does that mean? What does it look like? Um, hold your place First John and go to Ephesians chapter 5. <clears throat> Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 7. Ephesians 5, verse 7. Therefore, do not become partners with them. For at one time you were darkness, but now you are the light in the Lord. Walk as children of the light. So it says, by the way, you used to be in the darkness. You were that. And then verse 9. For the fruit of light is found um, in all that is good and right and true, and try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Take no part in the unfruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret. But when anything is exposed by light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore it says, Awake, O sleeper, and rise from the dead, and Christ will shine upon you. Look carefully, then, how you walk, not as unwise but as wise, making the best use of time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. 
He's describing here what it means to walk in light. He says, you once were darkness. That used to be you. But you've been changed. You've been regenerated. You've been, you have a new nature. <clears throat> he says, this used to be you. He says, therefore, look carefully how you walk. He says, not as unwise, but as wise. To live wisely is to walk in the light. Verse 9 says, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. So to walk in the light, he, he spells it out here. He says, it's to do all that is good and right and true. Well, how do we know it's good, right, and true? It's God's word. We have to know what God's word says because it is good, it's right, and it's true. So we have to know that. This is what it means to walk in the light. So turn over to Matthew chapter 7. We're talking about practically what it means to walk in the light. But Matthew chapter 7 is the very end of the Sermon on the Mount. This is kind of the closing statements that Jesus makes here. Matthew chapter 7 verse 24 It says, everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house, but it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell. And great uh, was that fall. So you may be saying, well, why are we reading this? Well, we're talking about walking in the light, walk, living wisely. What does Jesus say is a wise person? The one who hears his words and does what? Obeys it. Obeys it. So I'd never really thought about this before, and I'd heard a message, and I was like, I never realized it, and I'd never thought of it before like this, but building the house on the rock is obedience to Christ's commands. He says, this is what wise living is. Who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And so wise living is being obedient to Christ. Wise living is doing what he says. And so this is what it means to walk in the light. And we'll talk about obedience here in a minute. But he's talking about it here in Matthew chapter 7. To live wisely is to be obedient to Christ. Uh, go to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the, the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit. The desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep to keep you from doing things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, 
jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and uh, things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit, so he's con- the contrast here, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So what Paul is saying here is that to walk in the light, it's a lifestyle that manifests the fruit of the Spirit. So if you're walking in the light, your life is one that manifests these things. But we have to remember, it's important to recognize that these attributes are Spirit-produced. You can't produce these things in yourself. Uh, And so... We have to rely on the Holy Spirit, walk in the Spirit, be in God's Word, be obedient to what it says, and then these, and allow the, and the Spirit will begin to manifest these things, these qualities, into our life. This is what it means, this is what it looks like to walk in the light. To walk in the light is to reflect God's character based on the truth found in His Word. When we walk in the light, real fellowship is possible with other Christians. Not just surfacey stuff like that, but real, genuine fellowship in here amongst brothers and sisters in Christ can happen. Uh, we can have nothing, and it's okay. We may have nothing in common, and guess what? That's, that's just fine. But what do we have in common? We have the bond of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, therefore, we can love one another. We can care about one another. We, can, uh, we, can, we worship together. We serve together. We can pray for one another. We can lift each other up when one's down. We can rejoice together. So we can, we can fellowship. We can encourage one another, uh, teach one another. And so it doesn't matter if we have anything in common. It's a common interest. We have the common bond of Jesus Christ, and that's stronger than anything else that we could have. And so real, genuine fellowship can happen when we walk in the light. And if we want to enjoy fellowship with God and with each other, it requires to do this, to walk in the light. Uh, the second condition, if we're back in 1 John, second condition is confession of sin. And this is something that we don't like to do because when we confess sin, what are we admitting? That we're wrong, right? We're pretty prideful. We don't like to admit that we were wrong. And um, so we have to, we, uh, second condition, first one's walk in the light, second one is confession of sin. So 1 John chapter 1, verse 8. It says, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate. Uh, with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only our not ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. So he's talking here about confessing our sins. To confess means that we acknowledge the fact that we do sin and are in need of forgiveness. It's confessing to God and, and not like, hey, just forgive me of my sins. Well, what are those sins? He already knows them. He knows what our sins are, but somehow we just say we don't like to speak them. That's that spirit of pride that we, that we uh, struggle with internally. It's like, I don't want to say them. Well, he already knows them. 
He already knows them. Then we confess these sins, name them, what are they, and ask him to forgive us. To, uh, to confess is to agree with him, to admit that uh, we are sinners in need of his mercy. We're in need of forgiveness. We're in need of mercy. In verse 9, is get, we have a great promise in verse 9. So he, had, he said we are to confess our sins, but it says he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It says when you confess your sins, he is faithful and he is just to forgive us, and to cleanse us. What a great promise that we have. Because we do sin, right? We are going to sin. We do sin. We do it every day. And when we confess those sins, at that point it says that he is faithful and he is just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what does it mean to forgive, to be forgiven? Forgive is to cancel the debt. It can no longer be held to our account. And so when, when God forgives us, it's gone. It's completely forgiven. It'll never be held to your account. It'll never be held over your head like, hey, remember last week when you, you messed up again? No, it's gone. It's, it's completely forgiven. It will no longer be held to your account. And, uh, it, and so it's, it's a completely complete canceling of the debt. Imagine you own a bunch of money to a bank, and there's no way you could ever pay it off in your lifetime. And the bank came and said, I'm going to forgive this loan. What does it mean? It's gone, and you'll never have to pay that. It says this is what forgiveness is like. This is how God forgives us. And by the way, he says this is how you are to forgive each other as well. And the church, church family, right? We're family. We're brothers and sisters of Christ. Sometimes we might hurt one another. Sometimes we might offend one another. Sometimes we might say something. <clears throat> maybe it's intentional. Maybe it's not intentional, but it. It hurts somebody's feelings or, or whatever. Uh, sometimes there's, there's real, and there's, sometimes there's real things that happen. But we are to forgive one another, just as God has forgiven us. And so it, just like in your family, there's going to be times when we, again, I'll just say we hurt each other. We offend one another. Maybe we weren't, uh, maybe we uh, failed to, to encourage somebody who needed encouragement. And, and I, don't, I don't know, it could be any number of things. We need to be willing to offer forgiveness, and we never bring it up again. We no longer hold it to their account. Forgiveness frees us from the guilt and the shame that sin brings. And a lot of times we like to hold on to guilt and shame. For whatever reason, we like to hold on to that. But we need to remember that when we confess our sin, it's gone. It's no longer held against us. But the enemy lies to us. The Bible says that Satan is a liar and the father of lies. In John 8, 44, and he's called the accuser of the brethren in Revelation 12, or Revelation 12, 10. And sometimes we need to preach to ourselves that I, I have confessed this sin, and I believe that God is faithful and just to forgive me of my sins. It's no longer going to be held to my account. And so we have to preach that to ourselves because what Satan does <clears throat> a lot of times is the temptation comes, hey, this is going to make your life better. Which is ultimately what temptation is, is, is saying, hey, if you do this, whatever it may be, this will make your life better. And it's, sin, it's a sinful uh, thing. Uh, we're tempted to do it. And so he's tempting us. This will make your life better. Just do it. Just do this. Um, and we begin. And then when we fall, what does he do? 
He accuses us. You call yourself a Christian. God could never love you. God could never forgive you. And then we hold on to that. And we listen to that. And we need to preach to ourselves sometimes the word of God. And say, I have confessed my sin and believe that God is faithful to do what he promised. He has promised to forgive me and to cleanse me. And so he is faithful to do that. What a great promise we have is that when we confess our sins, we are cleansed and we can be forgiven. When we confess our sins, fellowship is restored with God. Because when we're living in sin, fellowship with God can be broken. You're not losing, we're not talking about losing salvation here. But if you're living in a pattern of sin, if you go through a time in your life where there's, you're living in a pattern of sin, fellowship with God is strained, it's broken. But when we confess our sin, that fellowship is restored. And then if we go on in, in 1 John chapter 2, we have an advocate when we sin. Another great promise that we have. 1 John chapter 2 now, verses 1 and 2. <clears throat> says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, says, I write, I, it'd be great if you never sinned. But he says, but if you do sin, kind of what he's saying is, and you will sin. But anyone who does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. We are not perfect. So we will sin. And in those moments, we have an advocate before the Father on our behalf, whose name is Jesus Christ. And I don't know what exactly, I try to imagine what that might look like. But when you sin, it says we have an advocate who goes before the Father on our behalf. Say, that is your child. He's been forgiven. She's been forgiven. We have this advocate, and again, try to, I try to imagine what that might look like, but I mean, I don't know. But it says that he goes to the Father on our behalf. How cool is that? How cool is that? Is that we are broken sinners, we sin on a regular basis, and we have an advocate who goes through the Father on our behalf. And when we sin, Jesus represents us and pleads our cause in heaven's court. Satan accuses Jesus pleads on our behalf, on our behalf. Even though we don't deserve it, he pleads on our behalf. Hold your place there and go to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. We'll pick up in verse 18. Romans chapter 8, verse 18. It says, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that, will be reve- uh, that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For, creation, uh, for the creation has, was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, that the creation itself will be set free from the bondage to corruption and obtain Freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together with pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, 
grown inwardly as we, e- as we wait eagerly for adoption of sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we are saved. Now, hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is, what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. John says in 1 John chapter 2, we have an advocate. Paul is saying here in Romans, he's speaking of it's the Spirit who intercedes for us, intercedes for the saints. All of creation groans under the curse of sin. You know, when sin entered into the world, the entire universe was subjected to this curse. The whole universe was, in all of creation, was subjected to it, was affected by it. We groan because of the presence of sin in our world as we eagerly await the redemption of our bodies, the redemption of our soul for our salvation to be finally realized. And so we wait for this. And so... Just as creation groans, we have these groans within us. And it is the Spirit who helps us in our weakness and intercedes to the Father with groaning too deep for words. That's the way that Paul describes it. He intercedes according to the will of God. So when we don't even know how to pray, it says the Spirit does that for us. When we can't find the words, the Spirit does that for us. And the Spirit will always intercede according to the will of God of God even when our prayers fall short even when we can't find the words he always intercedes according to the will of God and so we have this great promise that when we confess sins we are cleansed and that we are made that we are uh, forgiven that we are cleansed and that we have an advocate who goes to the father on our behalf we don't deserve that. We need to praise God and be grateful for to, him, to him for that. The third condition, uh, back in 1 John. Back in 1 John, chapter 2, verse 3. It says, And by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. <clears throat> Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. The third one here is obedience to his commands. We know we belong to Christ if we keep his commandments. And this is kind of one of the first tests or evidences that you'll see. And you'll see these throughout 1 John uh, to know that we're saved. It's a kind of a test of the genuineness of your salvation. And so it says, we know we belong to him if we keep his commandments. Uh, again, we're talking about patterns here. I'm not talking about, hey, I messed up. Hey, I've, I've, I've been struggling with this. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about a, the pattern of your life, your lifestyle. But it says those, uh, if we belong to him, we keep his commandments. Uh, John says here that whoever, whoever says I know him, 
Kind of like what he said early on, who, if so, back in verse, um, back in verse seven. Actually, I'm sorry, verse 6 says, If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. Well, he says the same thing here. He says, Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. It follows the same pattern as we saw in verse 6 of chapter 1. In the one who is obedient to his commandments, the love of God is perfected. God's people demonstrate their love, not by words, but by actions. And so what that means is that we don't, we don't do good works to be saved. Good works don't save us. By the way, our good works can never be good enough. But good works are produced out of a heart that's been changed. And so we need to see the difference here is that a lot of religions and a lot of other uh, teach that you have to be good. You have to, be, you have to live a certain way. You have to do all these things. You have to clean yourself up. You have to do right. You have to... You have to live out all these tenets or whatever if you want to go to heaven someday, if you want to be saved or whatever their, um, whatever their end times and says in their religion is. But um, it's to- ours is totally different, is that we work, we do good works, not, because, not, to, not to be saved, not to gain favor in God's sight, but because we have been saved. We've been changed. Again, we talked about walking in the light and the fruit of the Spirit that is produced. And so that is what we're talking about here, is obedience to his commands. It's a spirit produced. We can't do it on our own. And so those who belong to Christ have been changed from the inside out. We've been given a new nature, and now we can serve the Lord. We can't do it otherwise. And so it's something that the Spirit produces in us. And so the one who is, that's, why, that's what it means when it says that the one who is obedient to his commands, uh, the love of God is perfected in him. So God's people demonstrate it not by words or actions. It's a heart matter. It's a matter of the heart, not of lip service, but of a life of service. And so a lot of people will say a lot of things. Again, if you ask uh, most people, you know, are you Christian? What are they going to say? Yes, most people. Um, you may go up to Boston and ask, and they be like, no. <laughs> most, of them, most of them will not say that there. But in the Bible Belt, for the most part, people will say they're Christians. Um, they'll say they know some of the lingo. They'll say some of the right things. But their life does not show it. So those who know and obey uh, have, God, uh, have his love perfected or matured in them. So they have a desire to serve God and do what he said, and again, this is something that the, that the Spirit produces in the believer. John, uh, John also says in verse 6, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way which he walked. If you're familiar with John, the Gospel of John, he, has, he talks about abiding in him. And so what it means to abide is to remain or be connected to. So it says whoever abides in him, Whoever remains with him, whoever's connected to him, must walk in the same way that Jesus walked. Go to John chapter 14, the Gospel of John, say chapter 14. John chapter 14, verses 15, and then verse 15, and then verse 21. 
John chapter 14, verse 15. And it, it can't be more straightforward than this. Jesus, Jesus is speaking here. It says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. So how do we know we love God? Do we keep his commandments? If we keep his commandments, then yes, we love God. If we don't keep his commandments, we don't love God. It's pretty straightforward. If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Go to verse 21. It says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Once again, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, it is he who loves me. And so this is a test of the genuineness of our salvation is do we obey? Do we keep his commandments? Go to John chapter 15. Gospel of John 15. Verse 4. John 15, verse 4. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me, and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch, and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me... And my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so, and so prove to be my disciples. It says, when we bear fruit, when we bear fruit, fruit of the Spirit, think about, if you just want to look back, think back to that. As we bear fruit, it says, this proves that you are my disciples. Verse 9, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. <clears throat> if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So John is talking about abiding in the vine. He says, I am the vine, you are the branches. And we know that if you cut off a branch, what happens to it? It dies. It withers up and it dies. Or the sun burns it up like it did this summer. We didn't cut the branches in our garden, but they died anyways. They got burned up. But um, if a branch is cut off, it withers up and it dies. We must remain connected to the vine. Who is the vine? Jesus. We have to remain connected. And And we see it over and over. He who loves me keeps my commandments. And what we need to know is that there is joy and blessing and following in Christ's footsteps. It's that when we walk as he walked, just as 1 John chapter 2, uh, 2 says, verse 6, uh, whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Jesus is our example. And there is joy and there is blessing when we follow in his footsteps. The fourth condition, and the fourth and final we'll look at tonight, is love for one another. Love for one another. In verse 7, Beloved, I am writing to you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have heard, that you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because darkness is passing away 
and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in, he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. See, we've seen this over and over and over again. It says, he who says but doesn't do this is actually in darkness. And so we've seen that three different times now. Verse 10, whoever loves his brother and abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he's going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And so the fourth um, condition we're looking at, fourth condition of having fellowship with God, if we want to have fellowship with him, is love for one another. And who is, who's the one another? The church, the brothers and sisters in Christ. Specifically, he's talking about love for the brethren, love for the bro- your brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, do we love the outside world and care for them? Yes. Do we want to see them come to know Christ? Yes. But specifically, he's talking about here is that we love one another. This commandment refers to teachings found in the Mosaic Law. Uh, Jesus viewed uh, love for God and love for others as two fundamental commandments of the entire law. When they came and asked Jesus, what's the most important commandment? What did he say? First is to love God with all that you are. I'm just paraphrasing. What is the second one? To love your neighbor as yourself. And that sums up the law. The first four commandments deal with loving God and serving God and honoring God. The, la- the, last, uh, the last half of the commandments is... Um, is how we are to love one another. You know, if I love others, I'm not going to kill them. I'm not going to steal from them. I'm not going to covet them. You see, that's, that's how Jesus summed up the law, is that we are to love God with all that we are and love our neighbor as ourselves. And so he's speaking here specifically about the brethren, about our brothers and sisters in Christ. Through shared life and fellowship with Jesus, every Christian has the power to live like that. We've been, in, we've been empowered with the same Holy Spirit. The same Holy Spirit that lives in you, lives in me, lives in every believer of all time. And so we have, we've been empowered by the Holy Spirit to do this. If we don't have the Holy Spirit, we cannot love. We cannot love the way that we are called to love. Verses 10 and 11 says, But whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in darkness and does not know where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. And so we see here, this is kind of one of the second tests or evidences, however you want to say it, of the genuineness of our salvation is, do you love the people of God? If you could care less, if you could take them or leave them, we need to, we need to check up and examine our hearts. In this passage, again, we see this other test. Jesus said in John 15, 12, says, This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. How did he love us? Sacrificially. He gave his life. He says, I want you to love each other in this way. Jesus also said in John 13, 34, and 35, A new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have, if you have love for one another. It says the outside world should look in the church and say, man, those people have nothing in common, but they love each other. They care about one another. They have, there's a unity. There's a fellowship. There's a joy that's in them. 
It says, by this the world should know you are my disciples if you love one another. So if we don't love the people of God, we need to examine our hearts. So that is the question with this is, do you love the people of God? Do you love the brethren, the brothers and sisters in Christ? So just kind of to wrap everything up tonight, if we want to have joyful fellowship with God, with Christ, and with each other, we must walk in the light, regularly confess our sin, be obedient to his commands, and love each other. If we are doing these things, we will, it will bring a joy in the fellowship that we have. It will be a joy in your life to fellowship with your brothers and sisters in Christ. He also gives us two tests of genuine salvation. I should remind you what those are. First one is obedience to the Lord's commands. Again, not as perfect, but a pattern of life. He who loves me keeps my commandments. That was what Jesus said. And then also, like we just talked about, a love for the people of God. These are two tests of the, test the genuineness of our salvation as we examine our hearts. And examine your heart. And if you find that you fail the test, be saved tonight. By placing your faith in Jesus Christ, being forgiven of your sin and becoming part of the family of God, God wants you to know that you belong to Christ. And you can know that. Everybody in here tonight, when you walk out the doors, needs to know that you belong to him. He says in 1 John 5.13, I write these things, excuse me, I write these things to you, excuse me. Uh, right, let me try this again. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So every single person in this room, when you walk out tonight, needs to know that you belong to him. He wants you to know. He wants you to know. So examine our hearts. And then in verses 12 through 14 of John, 1 John chapter 2, verse 12, and as we read these things, we need to know is that believers, believers should always be growing. Verse 12, I am writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I am writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I am writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and that you have overcome the evil one. The final challenge tonight is that we should always be growing. Notice the progression. It talks about children, and then young men, and then fathers. And see, every single person in here, we're in a different, we're in a different place uh, as far as our, our walk with the Lord. We're all in different places. Some of you may have been saved for 50 years or more. Some of you in here... Maybe you haven't been saved all that long. Maybe you haven't been a Christian all that long. Or maybe it's just been a couple years. And everywhere in between, or maybe you're not a believer tonight. I don't know. But we should always be growing. He speaks to children, those new, new baby believers. Then young men are those who have matured a little bit. And then fathers, the father, when he speaks to those, uh, he, the, these are those men or women of any age. Who have depth and stability of ripe Christian experience. Uh, it, it describes young men, uh, men and women, young and old, that are the Christian life is never 
static. And so these are those, the, the, the fathers would be men and women. They've lived life. They've been through good times. They've been through bad times. We're talking, and we're talking spiritually here. They, they've, they've understand what it means to battle temptation. Uh, they, and they are mature believers. And so we have, and, and we have every, you know, babies all the way to fathers in here, everywhere in between. And so we need to always be growing. We need to grow. We need to progress. We need to mature. These fathers mentioned here have walked with God for many years. And they've already been through the fights. They've seen victories. They've seen defeats. Uh, these experiences yield confidence that God was and is always with them. And they've experienced that. And they're a great wealth of knowledge for the younger, not as mature believers. So, ask this question is, who are those, and think about those who have mentored you or discipled you, whichever word you want to use, in the faith. Who are those who have done that? Those who have walked in the light, who have confessed regularly confessed their sin, obeyed God, loved the people of God, and they've done that faithfully for many, many years. Who are the, do you have a person in your life who's done that? Have, do you have a person in your life? Maybe you don't. Well, I'd like to say that there's a lot of people in these churches, in our church, that I could say would be fathers, <laughs> would, be, would be under the category of fathers, men and women who have been believers for a long time. They've been through the ups, been through the downs. Uh, they, they've battled temptation. They understand and we can learn. If you're younger, you can learn from them. Seek those people out. Seek those people out. So who are those who have mentored or discipled you in your faith? Also, the next question is, who can you mentor or disciple in your faith? So maybe you're not a father, but maybe you're a more mature believer and you can help younger ones. I'll say, first of all, first and foremost, if you're a parent of kids who are still in the home, well, there's your first, that's, that, that's them right there. God has placed them in your house. That is your number one priority, is to disciple those kids and train those kids. And so also, grandparents, you can have a great impact on them as well. And so just be thinking, who are those people who discipled me in my faith? People that I look back and, you, you know, we consider them fathers, fathers, mothers, however you want it, but fathers, those who have been believers a long time. Who are those people who have done that for you? And now who can you do that for? Who can you do that for? And see, there's great joy in doing that. That is part of what it means to be in fellowship with God, is that we are always growing, we're always seeking to grow ourselves, and we're always seeking to bring others along. And so this is what he's talking about here. So if we want to have joyful fellowship with God, the four conditions we talked about, just as a real quick reminder, walk in the light confession of sin, obedience to his commands, and love for one another. And then finally, who has, who has mentored you in your faith? Who has been that example? And who can you be that example to? And begin to think about that. And how can I be that example? Who can I be that example to? Let's pray. God, we love you. We thank you so much for this uh, day that you've given us. We thank you for your word. Thank you for how it speaks to us. And God, I do pray that you would help us uh, to experience a fellowship with you, fellowship with one another, and God, that it would bring great joy uh, to, uh, to each one in here. Lord, I pray that if there's anyone in here who does not know you, that they would examine their hearts and they'd give their life to you tonight. 
Lord, that you draw them to yourself, and that they can leave here knowing that they belong to you. We, John wrote this, First John, so that we might know that we, um, that, we have, uh, that we belong to you, that we are your children, that we are saved. And so, God, I pray that no one would leave here today not knowing that. Lord, and then I pray that you'd help us to examine our hearts. Uh, Lord, if, if there's sin that needs to be confessed, that we would do that, that we'd be obedient to your word, that we'd love one another. God, we'd also uh, examine our hearts and, and think, think about who are those people who have impacted our lives and be grateful for those, and we are grateful for those, but then also turn around and say, who can we be that to? Who can we be that example to? So Lord, I pray that you would just help us to do some time of just examination in our hearts, that you speak to us, that you would challenge us, that you would um, help us to, uh, to seek, to uh, understand what you, what you are calling us to do, and uh, Lord, that we'd honor you in doing so. In Jesus' name, amen.